0: Welcome to this interview from the Arctic Frontiers Conference 2013. At the conference in January, we spoke with attendees, speakers, and members of the Young Scientists Forum about their work, their hopes, and their concerns for the future of the Arctic. This series is a joint effort of the Arctic Frontiers Conference, the Geopolitics in the High North program, and the Arctic Institute. I'm Tom Fries. In this interview, I spoke with Christoph Seidler, a science editor with Spiegel Online. Before we begin, I'd also like to thank the band Loes for permitting us to use the music that you'll hear at the beginning and end of each podcast. Hi there, Christoph, and thanks a lot for taking a few minutes to talk with me. Uh, could I ask you to start off by telling us about your ongoing work and about any plans that you have for the near-term future?
1: Um so um I'm I'm a science editor uh, with uh, Spiegel Online in Germany and uh, I've tried to follow uh, developments uh, in the Arctic among many other things so that means we do have to report uh, on a couple of other issues uh, as well uh, including uh, uh, unpleasant things like the international climate diplomacy for example um what what I find interesting is that uh, People are more and more uh, paying attention to what's happening in the Arctic. And uh, if possible, I'd, I'd like to follow that. Um, if ever there is a chance to actually go out and see what's happening, uh, that's actually something that uh, that I would love to, to do. Because um, I mean, we, we uh, in some cases, talk from a very from a very distant perspective i mean when you when you look at central europe we're quite far away from the arctic Um, at the same time there's there's a big interest in the region and in what's what's happening here so ideally i can try to come up here every now and then and see what's actually happening and how the also how the people around here perceive our interest uh, in the region And how do you think your own work as a journalist contributes to
0: shaping the future of the Arctic as a region?
1: I think a lot of uh, researchers are doing an excellent job researching the changes uh, in the Arctic. Our job as uh, journalists, maybe as science journalists in particular, is to actually translate translate that I mean you, you have a lot of uh, overview reports produced with uh, several hundred pages each and nobody including policymakers has the time to read that um, so um, one of our jobs as journalists is uh, well take at least uh, the time to read uh, some something more than uh, just the executive summary uh, to talk to people and to actually help the uh, readership understand what, what's happening here, what's going on, and what the, what the crucial points are so that they can uh, basically develop a standpoint. Uh, and I think w- we, in a way, must help to, to translate uh, scientific findings and uh, also political developments into information that is, uh, in a way, useful uh, for the the average person outside of the Arctic to actually understand what's what's happening, and uh, um, ideally, um, I can help a little bit with that uh, by mm-hmm. trying to answer the questions uh, or trying to find answers for the questions that uh, that my readers have back home. Because basically, I'm I'm just a tool to pose these questions to to the people that uh, our readers uh, don't have the opportunity to to actually meet in person. I have the privilege to do so every now and then. One should also not forget uh, the let's say the the uh, historic evolution of uh, our perception of the Arctic. I mean, the Arctic has always been something that really attracted uh, uh, people's attention, uh, the, the 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 fantasies, and that's that's there. And uh, ideally. We, we help people understand what's, what's happening here and uh, how fast it's happening. In your work, you're not just contributing
0: to the overall discussion of Arctic issues, you're also an observer, of course. Uh, in that capacity, do you see anything important that's missing from this discussion?
1: i mean when 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 you listen to politicians from the arctic states they always emphasize with very good reason high north low tension i mean that's like the uh, i think norway asks for for credit for that uh, for that saying but that's the message that we hear and that's a very credible message uh, what we need i think is a, is a, a framework in which this uh, will also st- stay the same in the next decades to come. So we we definitely need a very strong political will uh, to keep the, uh, the relations in the Arctic as friendly and as cooperative as they are right now. And I also think that... Uh, the political political uh, sphere in the polar states must try to to address even more the question how to uh, get new players on the table. I mean, uh, we, we've heard that also here at Arctic Frontiers uh, in Tromsø, where the Europeans, uh, um, in that case uh, Commissioner Damanaki, clearly stated we actually want to be at the table with you let's get down to business she said um, so there there is a very strong interest uh, from players that uh, I mean a couple of years back uh, nobody in Brussels cared about the Arctic literally nobody and that has changed and the the, the polar states go like well wh- why why are they interested in the Arctic now? Matter of fact is they are for whatever reason so the the, the polar states, to a certain extent, should deal with that and should really try to accommodate new uh, new players here. That's uh, not only the EU. That's of course China. That's India. There is the discussion of uh, having these states uh, as observers in the Arctic Council. Maybe that's not enough because, um, in a way, also the Arctic Council needs to involve. Uh, needs to evolve. You need to get people in and you need to discuss also with them on new topics and I think that's a process that's very slow and I mean we, we as journalists we're always very impatient you know and we sometimes underestimate the, the time and the energy it takes to actually uh, set up uh, uh, structures for, for dialogue.
0: The last thing I'd like to ask you before you go back to the conference is this. What do you see as the value of Arctic Frontiers? Why do you invest the time and energy necessary to come
1: to this event? Tromsø in itself is a very attractive place to come to. So a lot of people uh, travel here that probably wouldn't go anywhere else. So um, so a lot of people um, come to Tromsø, which then means if you do come as well, you have a chance to meet really the key players. Not only for the presentations, which are, which are of course uh, interesting in themselves, but uh, uh, for talks, um, for for personal one-to-one encounters, and I think that's really, that's really valuable. That's valuable for me as a journalist because often you you only talk to people on the phone, you exchange emails. Here you, you really meet people. What I find somewhat difficult is that the conference is getting bigger and bigger, and um, at some point it might lose that advantage if it gets too hard to actually run into somebody then you you you're losing that advantage so i, I don't know how you how you balance that the the increased interest in the arctic that we just spoke about while at the same time uh, you need a certain level of i wouldn't say exclusiveness but uh, just to, to, to uh, keep people talking, not only uh, in the main auditorium, but uh, also around that.
0: Thanks for joining us for this interview. You can hear others from this series on iTunes or via our websites, arcticfrontiers.com and the The music you've heard at the beginning and end of this interview is from Loas, from their album Wind and Water. You can hear more samples of their music or purchase their albums on iTunes. Just search for their name, which is spelled L-O-E-S-S.